Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is nothing. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin. I am Captain Adam Thomas. And I am Thomas Mariani. Yar. <laughs> Yar. <laughs> Avast, you mateys. And look, we see a mermaid off the bow. It's Heather Thomas, yar, still with us. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, any mermaid story would be improved by just saying, yo, what's up? <laughs> My name's Ariel, how you doing? I want to be where them people is. <laughs> uh, but Heather was just here for our Disney episode, and uh, now she's here for our intro in which, uh, as we are sort of hinting at, uh, we are doing the topic of, in honor of The Meg coming out this week, we're releasing this underwater creature features. So not just sharks, but any sort of underwater creature involved um, is for the picking and discussion, um, in which, uh, at the intro here, of course, we should explain for any new people, uh, we pick between two bad ones and two good ones, and um, usually we would pick a number between 1 and 10 ourselves to just to determine which of the two features the other one has uh, will be picked, but Heather is doing that this week. So Heather will pick a number between 1 and 10, and whichever gets closest for one of Adam's picks will be the good movie we discuss, and for me, it'll be the bad pick. So, without further ado, for Adam's two good choices, Heather, pick a number between 1 and 10. Uh, 8. At number 9, I have the Stuart Gordon Dagon. I, I like Stuart Gordon, but I have not seen that one. It's it's a good one. And at number two, I had Splash. Ah, of course, this, the, the the horrible sea creature, Daryl Hannah. Hey, hey, <laughs> we didn't say it had to be a horrible sea creature. That's true. It's still we, a goddamn sea creature. We, we didn't necessarily have to. Um, but now, Heather, number two, one in ten for my bad choices. Uh, let's go four. At number three is the Jaws ripoff from 1977, Orca, starring Richard Harris. Uh, yes! God damn it. Would you have been any more excited if it had been number seven, which was Piranha 2, The Spawning. No. No, no. Isn't that the James Cameron one? (laughs) The kind of James Cameron one that he infamously got taken off. You know, I was gonna mess with you and put Humanoids from the Deep in mind, just because it's a bad movie, but I think it's funny. Could you imagine if we would have somehow gotten Humanoids from the Deep and Piranha 2, The Spawning? Oh, well. Oh, fuck. Um, well... 
It's an interesting double feature, and we'll get down to discussing that shortly. But uh, before we go, thanks a lot, Heather, for joining us here and sealing our fates for the evening. No problem. <laughs> now I gotta go back into water, go back in with my thing of a box. I got 20 <laughs> of them, man. Hey. <laughs> and we'll be right back with a double feature after this. You wanna tell me what's wrong with everybody in this town? I tell you a secret. No one leaves. People come, but no one leaves. Why are you trying to kill us? What do we do to you? I am here. I've been waiting for you. Come on, motherfucker. We are children of Dagon. It is your destiny. I don't have a choice, do I? And we are back. Uh, We have just seen our double feature. We have sailed the seven seas. We've got an interesting header to tackle here, don't we, Adam? Yeah, it turned out to be a really, really mixed bag of movies. (laughs) We live up to that double-edged title. Yeah, this week. Yeah, big time. So let's start off with Dagon, which came out October 31st, 2001. It's a Spanish film, though it is directed by an American director, Stuart Gordon, who we should go into a bit. Um, Stuart Gordon is a genre filmmaker, probably best known for his H.P. Lovecraft adaptations, of which probably the most well-known is Reanimator, which is a classic horror film, one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, I'd say that's probably his biggest... Easily his biggest film. Mm-hmm. Probably the main reason, if you know who Jeffrey Combs is, it's because of this man. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can also tell watching this movie that uh, our lead here, Ezra Godin, um, is somebody who I'm sure the entire time Stewart kept calling Jeffrey because he really wants him to be Jeffrey Combs. Oh, like, yeah, no, dude. This movie was supposed to be made in the early, like, 90s. And in fact, those parts were written for Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton. That's why. Her name's Barbara. Right. Yeah. You can very much tell that. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he put those glasses on. Just like, put on these glasses. And put your <laughs> hair mopped up like this. Just like, I'm not Jeffrey Stewart. I'll never be Jeffrey. I wish I were. It, it, it's pretty easy to tell that uh, this kind of fits in with... He's done a few other H.P. Lovecraft adaptations. There's also From Beyond, which is great. This Castle Freak. Castle Freak. Oh, Castle Freak. <laughs> Castle Freak's a movie I really want to put on the show, but I don't know quite where, because it's both incredibly awful and kind of amazing because... Yeah, of no, I agree. We'll, so, we're going to worm it in somewhere. Oh, we will. I, we'll figure it out. It's a movie I want to talk about extensively. <laughs> um, and then if... Didn't he do a Masters of Horror? Uh, yes, after this, he did a H.P. Lovecraft adaptation for the Masters of Horror TV show. Uh, Stuart Gordon is somebody who I appreciate, though I haven't seen all of his filmography, and I, this is the first time I'd ever seen Dagon myself. Uh, obviously, you were more familiar with this film, Adam? Yes. Oh, absolutely. About 15 years ago, I was buying anything I could get my hands on on a DVD. I just fell down the wormhole because I bought Reanimator, then I bought From Beyond, and then I got Castle Freak, and then Dagon was the logical next choice. And uh, I watched it, and I'm like, oh, man. It, you know what you know what it was too because I was a huge fan of the Resident Evil Four, the video game. There's a lot of that in this movie. Like I could tell that it was definitely influenced. Well, yeah, I mean you could tell there's a bit of a Resident Evil thing. Obviously, to be fair, 
HP Lovecraft in general definitely had influence mm-hmm. on a lot of those sort of like horror survivalist games. A lot of like Silent Hill definitely has huge inspiration oh, yeah. from HP Lovecraft. The Fogginess. HP Lovecraft is one of the seminal horror authors and especially yes. American horror authors. And the the story, which it's based on, interestingly enough, there is a story called Dagon that he wrote that has little to nothing to do with this. Literally this, nothing, just the name. Yeah, and this is more based on The Shadow of Innsmouth, which is probably like the most famous sort of archetypal H.P. Lovecraft story in terms of people arrive in this town that's off of a port city, and there's mysterious sort of amphibious creatures that are all around. It's it's very much his style. It's H.P. Uh, Lovecraft on brand. Yes. That particular story is. This is an interesting adaptation of it for sure. A bit more Spanish in nature, which I think mainly came from just the production necessity. Uh, Stuart Gordon got the funding from Spain. It kind of feels like almost an early, super low budget version of like a Guillermo del Toro movie. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. And as you could tell, he was more than likely working with a full Spanish crew, you know, Spanish editors, and there's just that different flavor to it. Like, it's definitely a Stuart Gordon movie, but there's just that little twist that makes it just odd with the way the lines are read, the shots, the everything. It's just a little different, and I think that adds to it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Especially when we do actually get into the town before it's a bit choppy. Um, yeah, what, have... what is the town in Boca? Isn't that it? <laughs> I, I believe so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the whole opening bit was just like, we're rich off our site, was it like, dot com dot com i believe is what yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> man the, the, we love dot com dot com a well keyword dot and also the fact that she throws his fucking laptop into the ocean like such I a dick know. the reason you're on this fucking yacht is because of that laptop exactly <laughs> and she's like you need to be more of a free spirit it's just like but that's our livelihood i didn't back up the discs oh dick move uh, yeah real dick move Mm-hmm. Um, but it adds sort of, I agree, this sort of surreal nature to it, where that start, you're already kind of like, this is a bit unsettling. Of course, we have the dream sequence as well, uh, mm-hmm. which I have to give credit to this actress. Yeah, she has this sort of ethereal charm to her that makes her instantly sort of inviting, but still creepy. She's got those, what I like to call Amanda Seyfried eyes. They're yes! Like, they're too yes! big to be human, but yeah, they're still right. entra- enchanting. <laughs> yeah. They look like those fucking Christoph Waltz paintings. From that movie. Oh, Big Eyes? <laughs> yeah, Big Eyes. <laughs> big Eyes references, y'all. Yeah, For y'all. all my Big Eyes fans out there. Yeah. Really <laughs> shitty Tim Burton movies. What, what? But no, yeah, dude. And she's... But she's so alluring and you just... Like, she's seductive. Instantly. Mm-hmm. But right, so, so we're... so scary. <laughs> like, right. it's so creepy. We're immediately unsettled by that dream sequence, and then there's a sort of weird artificialness of, like, this sort of actual setup of our characters on this yacht and everything feels kind of artificial. Almost more like it's the start of, like, an 80s slasher movie that takes place on a boat. Um, yeah, and then, definitely. <laughs> and then we get to the Innsmouth angle of it, and it gets so much more brutal, and it gets so much more confusing. I, I love how this movie uses especially mob mentality. You can tell that they're on such a low budget, but Gordon knows how to use his extras very well. Particularly the whole sequence where after he's explored through this empty hotel, he looks out on the balcony and people spot him. That's a yeah. great shot. I love that shot where it just yeah. one points up and they start just like chanting incoherently. Um, and, and even with the actual use of sort of the fishy makeup 
Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's limited, obviously, and there are points where it shows the sure. straining of the budget. But at the same time, you still get the whole Uncanny Valley thing of, like, these people aren't quite human. And yeah, like the hotel clerk especially. Yes, that, that's a great example. Or the priest who shows yeah. up where it's like they're all yeah. clammy, they're all just very pale and, like, wasting away. And it's like it's like you're either people who have never seen the sun or fish who have been at the bottom of the ocean for centuries. Um, that... Right, they're all a bunch of blobfish. Yes. <laughs> Look up the blobfish. It's one of the ugliest creatures in IRL. It's amazing. Uh, and you can also tell even the cheaper practical effects still are interesting. Like when we get the sort of tentacles as legs with our yeah. enchantress creature. Um, terrifying. Yes. Uh, very yes. unsettling to watch. But it's when so they much... transition to CG, you're like, oh. yeah. Especially, it's, it's it's hard because like the whole point of H.P. Lovecraft is describing sort of the unimaginable. It's mm. he he gives you some vague idea of what this horrible creature is, but the whole point is that you can't sort of fathom because of the cosmic horror of it. It's so unnatural to human eyes; you can't really pin down what it is. They kind of try to with the especially at the climax, and that yeah. falls flat. Like. A fish ashore, as it were. You know, I'm not that mad at the climax. I actually kind of liked the climax for the most part. No, I'm not talking about the overall climax. I'm just talking about oh, when okay. you actually see the creature that pops out. Like, they build up so much great mystery. Oh, yeah, earlier. that was a waste. Yeah, I agree. That was such a waste. <laughs> they, they didn't need that big, just really bad CGI fest. That was no. completely, completely 100% unnecessary. You could have even just had, like, a CG tentacle and I would have been fine with it. That, that's all you needed, but they try and sort of have, like, a Cthulhu-style creature pop up, and it's like, man, you didn't need that, Stuart. But no, but the, a lot of the build-up, I think, is really fascinating, especially, like we said, the more fascinating stuff is when they use sort of more limited makeup effects and just having mm-hmm. more be about the endless sort of crowd that's surrounding these people. Like, I also love the one guy we get who, it, it might have been somebody who was, like, an amputee, who's just, like, crawling around on his hands that are all, like, tentacly. Yeah, um, really creepy. Yes. I, I that I agree. I liked that part to where in the crowd somebody would either not have a limb or a, one fucked up limb or they look normal but have like a sack over their head so you couldn't really see what was wrong. Everybody was wet and slimy. They all had the same like deep, gravelly, creepy voice. I just I honestly I still find the movie unsettling at certain parts. Yes, I think a big part of that also, I will say, the human characters can be a bit hit or miss, but the MVP is for sure uh, Francisco Rabel. Oh my god, he's so good. Who I, I, he was apparently a very prolific Spanish actor who I wasn't, I'm not really aware of. No, nope, never seen him before this. <laughs> he's amazing in this movie. Apparently he died shortly before production uh, finished up, but he's yeah. so compelling as sort of the one human in this entire town who's a drunk. And that's why they don't pick on him, because he's sort of like the town drunk. And right. it's such a great, tragic, but funny character that you really feel for, especially when he reveals this whole backstory that's really yeah. wonderful to see, just how sort of people in this sort of economically crumbling town find solace in what seems to be this, you know, sea god that they're worshipping and sacrificing to. I, I love how it builds the mythology of all that in just a short amount of time. Oh yeah, me too. And then, and then ultimately, what what ends up happening to him is so brutal, and it's almost hard to watch. Like, I can understand why when this movie came out, 
there was a lot of people who would mention that scene, especially in the horror circle, or, you know, the skinning or whatever, if we wanted to get into it. But they'd be like, oh, it's so brutal. Now, I mean, you've seen it way worse, but it, it's still really, really effective and just in your face. And like you said, you really like him, too, as a character and as an actor. He steals the movie in every scene he's in, and then, I mean, he just gets butchered. And it's it's awful. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty harsh. Um, but it, it also works because like, he has so much character in his face. I love the scar on his mm-hmm. face. And I love sort of that drunken legend, like, I have been here for so long and I know how this town works. He almost kind of reminds me of uh, whenever Guillermo del Toro appears on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. As the Patty McPoyle. <laughs> yeah, Patty McPoyle. <laughs> it's kind of that, but with actual, like, sincere emotional arc as opposed to crazy old man. <laughs> uh, but what do you think about some of the other human characters, like our lead, Ezra? How do you think he sort of holds up as a our he, he, Jeffrey Combs stand-in? He got on my nerves, to be honest with you. I mean, he he's just so whiny, and I, I don't think that they gave him enough of an arc. Like, he goes from being a dot-com millionaire nerd to basically whining the whole rest of the movie like completely 100 percent. he just really got under my skin man i don't know i i he to me he's the one major part of this movie that i'm like oh fuck i very much agree i don't think it's as much his fault as much as it's just when you're writing for like a jeffrey combs jeffrey combs is just this other animal where i think he plays characters that are often despicable like you know uh, herbert west is a great example of, like, Herbert West is a piece of shit, but he's so fascinating because he has such conviction. His character in The Frighteners, I mean, you love him, you love to watch him, you love to see what he, but he's just such a despicable, just asshole. But there's that conviction there that makes you at least (laughs) fascinated to keep watching him. This character doesn't quite have that, and I feel like Jeffrey Combs would probably added something more to it. Um, if he had gotten into this role. It's it's a hard right. kind of character to grasp. And, you know, few people can be Jeffrey goddamn Combs. Right, and, and, I, and I agree with you. I think that's the problem. I think the part was orig- was written for Jeffrey Combs, and, you know, it, it sat in developmental hell for so long, and then when they got it, he was too old for the part. But it feels like they didn't change the character at all for a new actor. So it's a another actor trying to be Jeffrey Combs, and it, just, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I, the most interesting, uh, like, sort of, of our main sort of characters is um, I forgot which one, which is the one who is the uh, the wife of the guy who got skinned and is missing her leg. Oh my god, I forgot her name. Is that Vicky? Is that that character's name? Yeah, that might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's Vicky. yeah, yeah. Uh, Bridget uh, Bofaru, I think, um, is her. Yeah, she's um, she's the most compelling of the sort of our main characters that we got. Uh, yeah, just I because like that. her and even though like she starts off, we, we only see her like get her leg chopped off, um, off screen kind of thing, and then we cut back to her. But you believe that she's just gone through such a horrible mm-hmm. nightmare. She's you know, got PTSD all over, on oh, that. Yeah. And, and the fact that she like stabs herself like this is the only way to get out of this. It's that is such a great use of gore for this movie that doesn't have a lot of it. But when they utilize it for stuff like this, it like pinpoint. Oh, I yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. The movie's more makeup effects and dread 
There's not a lot of gore, uh, but other than that scene and really the um, the skinning scene, the skinning scene, which is just oh my god, that's one of those scenes that just burned into my brain when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very effective, but I, you know, I just think the movie's effective all the way around, other than Ezra Gooden. You know what? I'll say this: the set design sure. is impeccable, of just like a town in decay. And oh, it looks water exactly logs. like a yeah, like a yeah. fishing shanty town. I mean, it just looks run down. People don't give a shit about it anymore because they're so, you know, self-involved with their worship of you know Dagon or whatever the hell the giant creature thing. Um, and man, the underwater photography in this movie is quite well done. In my yeah. Opinion. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah, it, it sort of has that kind of creature from the Black Lagoon style mm-hmm. mystery to it, where it really does feel like you're sort of stepping down into the depths of this completely different world. Even when we have like the dream sequences, or when we yeah. have like the actual sort of moments of going down under the water, they Stuart Gordon knew that like that's something you had to get right for this water based H.P. Lovecraft story, and he did it very well. It really does. It's like I said, Stuart Gordon does such a great job of utilizing very low budgets and making something really interesting out of it. I'd also recommend in a similar vein to this, uh, his last film that he's done as of yet, Stuck. Oh, with um, uh, oh god, what's her name? Mina Savari? Yeah, and Stephen Ray. I recently saw that. That's a very underrated gem of a movie. That's not really a horror movie, but it's got great use of gore. Horrific, awful shit. Such a piece of shit. Oh my god, it's so good. I want to talk about Stuck at some point. Great movie. Anyway, but um, no, with Dagon, uh, they it's definitely a thing of like Stuart Gordon is a guy who comes from theater, and I think you can kind of tell that in some of his earlier movies, like Reanimator, as great a movie as it is, does definitely feel stagey, but in a good way. In terms of like, he really focuses on character and performance. And utilizing limited amounts of like effects work when he can, and obviously he go, he's gone a bit more into that vein with stuff like From Beyond or his great uh, Charles Band uh, sci-fi movie Robot Jocks. I fucking love Robot Jocks. <laughs> it's Pacific Rim before Pacific Rim ever happened. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Robot Jocks is amazing. <laughs> It's uh, so bad, but it's so awesome. Oh my god, yes. It's just pure 80s machismo. Uh, and it came it's... out in 1990, it's like the last throes of that. Just mm-hmm. gasping out from the 80s for sure. So kick-ass. Um, is there anything we have forgotten about Dagon? Um, one thing that, I mean, we already talked about the underwater scenes, but once, you know, Ezra Good realizes what he is... You know, after he's burned himself and everybody else, uh, I just thought that was so well done when the gills appeared in his rib cage, mm-hmm. like the skin melted away and he had the gills. I just thought it was so cool. But one, another thing too that I didn't really, I had to actually look into to understand it, is the one um, when he's in the whole room at the end, the sacrificial room or whatever, mm-hmm. and the one with the really bad fa- like fucked up face is talking to him and blah blah apparently that's supposed to be his father no yeah they were kind of explaining that they just like it's been so long since i've seen you my boy i and don't it, know why i missed that i missed that the first time i saw it well and also the fact that um the uh Marcarena gomez character um our enchantress is mm-hmm. uh is his sister 
and is so dead sound just like I want to fuck you so bad, bro. Oh yeah, they're gonna fuck. <laughs> like he, she really oh. wants it. And that's why he's just like I'm. I'm out. I'm just gonna gasp myself. I, I, I don't want no part of this <laughs> shit. I'm checking the fuck out of this. <laughs> yeah, I don't play him at all. Goddamn bed with gills, and my sister wants to fuck me. <laughs> I'm good to go. The sister who I had a wet dream about at the start of this movie wants to fuck me. I'm. This is too far gone, guys. I'm. I'm beyond saving. A, and I really like how that is really the struggle of between him and the barber character is not a whole thing of trying to save, but really that she really wants him to kill her because of what she's been through. I, I a lot of credit to uh, Raquel Moreno as Barbara. Um, she yeah. sells just being dead inside after she comes oh. back up out of the water. Oh, she's yeah. just gone as a person. And can I say to and not to be objective, but she is so beautiful. That actress. I mean, she is absolutely gorgeous, and she—I've never seen her anything else. And she's actually pretty good in this too. The language is kind of an issue for her, you mm-hmm. can tell. Yes, but she's fantastic. I kind of wish she was our main character instead of Vesra. Yeah. <laughs> I—I yeah, I really do because I agree she's a much more engaging um, presence, and I think she has the more fucked up thing to worry about just like oh i'm gonna bore this horrible half sea creature monster uh that's gonna be like the ruler of earth now it's right it, it, it's a lot more of a compelling story there and a lot of bravery in terms of not only being nude for that sacrificial scene yeah but the context of it and being like this you know sort of sacrificial creature and having all this blood all over her and hanging the way that she does mm-hmm. it's gotta be brutal especially just on like a oh, psychological level even acting it and that's um a lot of dedication in pretty the- good score too I'll, I'll agree with that as well um pretty good score and i will say it's interesting this is also um along with Stuart gordon this being his uh fourth hp lovecraft adaptation it is also one of many that he has had uh, the screenwriter Dennis Paoli uh, write this the script because um, he also wrote all the previous H.P. Lovecraft ones he did. And do you see any like notable similarities beyond sort of like the Jeffrey Combs type that we get with our main character? Not really. I think this is completely different from the other ones. I, I Reanimator and From Beyond, I could pick up, you know, quite a few similarities Castle Freak even a little bit, just be, probably just because of Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton. Uh, but other than the Ezra Gooden character, to me, this is like a standalone. Well, I would say, yeah, beyond the Ezra character, I don't quite see that. But I do, I, I will say this is something more, I guess, to why it would be close to like a Stuart Gordon movie, um, is the sort of use of crowds when they do sort of take that mob mentality that kind of takes place. I think that reminded me a lot of sort of whenever we have the corpses and reanimator rise up and kind of crowd around, um, or even certain bits of the, um, the kind of weird mythology that's going on and subverting that with sort of a natural character that is from our world, sort of an audience surrogate. I kind of see that, um, through, you know, all these HP Lovecraft adaptations that he's done. But uh, I would definitely agree that this one stands a bit more apart, probably because it is more faithful, because Reanimator and From Beyond are more taking ideas from these H.P. Lovecraft short stories and expounding upon them in Stuart Gordon fashion, versus this feels the most sort of faithful. Would you agree on that? Oh, 100%. Uh, From Beyond and Reanimator, other than, you know, certain names, literally have nothing to do with the source material for the most part. I'm assuming Castle Freak is also the same. 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. You assume 100% correctly. <laughs> Seriously, guys, we're going to talk about Castle Freak at some point. I think we kind of have to. Oh, maybe, yes. maybe we should do like a uh, um, full moon episode. Oh, you know, Char- yeah, we, we could. Charles Band, there, there's a lot yeah. to talk about there. We got a Puppet yeah. Master movie coming out, guys. There you it's, go. It's there likely go. to happen. It's in the, it's in the books. Uh, but, you know, let's, uh, before we steer too much more off track, let's have our final thoughts about Dagon, Adam. Well, I'm a, I'm a pretty big Lovecraft fan. I mean, I'm not to the point where some people are, um, but I really do like Lovecraft stuff. I, I find it so scary. To me, there's nothing scarier than the deep ocean. A, because I'm a little bit claustrophobic, and B, just because what the fuck is down there? Um, but it's just, this movie, It's there's everything in it for horror fans, I think. It, it's scary. It's there's When there's gore, it's really well done. There's very good acting, for the most part. There's just... It's spooky. It's unnerving. It's creepy. It's slimy, but it, it's unlike any other movie, especially that Stuart Gordon's ever done. So if you're going Lovecraft movies, I mean, like I said, this is in my top three. Uh, it's my number two, um, preceded only by uh, um, In the Mouth of Madness, which isn't even a Lovecraft movie, but I just think that's the perfect Lovecraft movie. But um, Man, if you have any interest in Lovecraft or good horror movies or just creepy, dark fantasy, then I I think you kind of got to see this movie. I think this is one of the movies that's just still undiscovered for the most part. I can't believe this hasn't even gotten even close to like a Scream Factory release. I don't know if it's something with the rights because it was a Spanish film or whatever, but... You know, they can put The Exorcist 2 out, but they can't put fucking Dagon out. I, I I just think this is one that needs to be seen. Yeah, and th- this being my first time watching it, um, I agree that it's an interesting little gem of a movie. Um, I, I don't think I'm quite on the same train as you on it, but at the same time, I do appreciate it. I, I like what it does with sort of the more traditional Lovecraftian style. There's a lot of good performances in there great makeup effects as we mentioned um and i think it really does punctuate things with a great ending i think the ending really just sells the sort of hopelessness and endlessness and the fact that you're a uh small fish in an ever looming giant black abyss of a pond and i think it uh accomplishes that pretty well speaking of things that are black large abysses (laughs) we have our second film Orca. The ancient Romans called him Orca Orcinus, Latin for bringer of death. He is without challenge the most powerful animal on the globe, the killer whale. Orca's intelligence may be even superior to man's. They remain loyal to one mate for life. As parents, they are exemplary, better than many human beings. And like human beings, they have a profound instinct for vengeance. <laughs> An innocent creature is destroyed by an act of human cruelty, and the ultimate battle of man against nature begins. Dino De Laurentiis presents Orca, a fight to the death between the two most dangerous animals on Earth. What in hell are you? Man 
and Orca. Oh, man. So, um, Orca <sighs> is a film that came out in the wake of Jaws. Uh, the year is 1977. It's July 22nd, 1977. Everybody's trying to jump on that Jaws train, and this is one of the early imitators. As you might be able to tell by the fact that our opening involves characters nearly being killed by a shark, and then an orca whale comes in and punks that shark the hell out. Because that's how awesome an orca whale is, I guess, at killing a shark. I mean, what? (laughs) (laughs) This fucking movie, man. (laughs) God damn how many times did you see, need to see the same scene of the orca jumping out of the water? Oh, as many times as I needed to see that orca crying with that goddamn close-up of the eye. <laughs> That's my favorite thing about how terrible this movie That's is. That's my favorite thing, too. And then when it fucking, like, screenshotted Richard Harris into its eye, oh. it's like, bing, and then it froze. I'm like, this is fucking outrageous. Um, so, basic plot oh. synopsis of orca is simply uh, Richard Harris plays this guy who's hunting big fish and he's trying to hunt sharks at one point earlier in the movie and then an orca whale shows up and he's like oh i should hunt that i don't know much about orca whales because it's 1977 and i'm not going to listen to charlotte rampling go on and on and on and on and on on about uh this, this type of whale and so he still just is like but i need to get it because people pay money for it and he tries to get this specific orca who saved his buddy from getting killed by a shark Mm-hmm. Dick move. Um, it's me- one of many that Richard Harris does in this movie, yet he's our kind of hero. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But um, he ends up harpooning um, a, in a school of orcas, this one orca who he thinks is that same one. But it turns out not only is it not that orca, but it is that orca's mate. And she is pregnant. And oh he ends up God. causing her to miscarry by literally having... Uh, to the deck of the boat. <laughs> yep. A, a whale fetus just flops on there. And that's the reason I wanted to cover this movie, because I remember as a child, I was flipping through channels back when channel surfing was still a thing, kids. Uh, we had this thing called Cable, and we went through trying to find something to watch. And I remember distinctly seeing this scene of the orca baby flopping out of the <laughs> the whale and being confused and terrified and not mm-hmm. knowing what it was until... Like, at least a decade later, I found it was part of Orca. And so, after that point, I always had in the back of my head, maybe I should watch Orca, because I remember that scene very well. So, is this the first time you've watched it? In full, that? yes. Yeah, <laughs> this me too. <laughs> but yeah, me too. And it's one that I remember hearing about more as sort of like a terrible movie, but it's sort of gone off into sort of the back of people's memories. It's not mm-hmm. one that gets talked about often anymore, it's kind of gotten forgotten by time. And... There's a reason, because... Oh, yeah, 100%. It's a very cheap movie. It basically kind of feels like... Because uh, after this point where the the female whale is killed, um, it becomes sort of... Which, reverse. let's not forget, the female whale tries to kill itself first. Yes, that's right, by going into the propellers of the boat. And somebody literally says, it's trying to kill itself! Like, what the fuck? <laughs> How do you know? Whale biologist, I guess. Whale biologist, I know everything. <laughs> Yeah, from there, the orc is kind of our hero. It's kind of like Moby Dick, but it's the the whale is our Captain Ahab, who's yes, after I this agree. guy, basically. But also, the movie kind of tries to make Richard Harris, if not 
you know, the most sympathetic character, a compelling sort of character who's like, I gotta kill that whale. They're, they're trying to have two Ahabs for the price of one, and they and don't get quite there. Ever, it fails. <laughs> uh, there um, was at no point I was behind Richard Harris in this movie. Oh no, he's so awful, but, and also so dumb, and doing just stupid Harris, thing after stupid, stupid thing. And he's such a, like, one of the worst sort of protagonists of mm-hmm. a movie. Especially when it tries to get you on and say, well, well the whale's going after the dock you know, town that he lives in. Yeah. And you should, you know, be, get behind him because he's trying to save all these other people. But all these other people are either non-characters like Charlotte Rampling, who's just like, mm-hmm. I'm here to give exposition about whales. Did well, you fucking know? Chief from uh, One Flew to the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, Will Sampson, also there as sort of just standard, stereotypical Native American. of just like, yeah. oh, I know the creatures and the creatures yeah. you've my, messed my with nature. people have legends of these creatures. Oh, get the fuck out of here. I'm waiting for him to say, he's almost like the proto-version of Ken Watanabe's character from that Godzilla 2014 movie. Oh, I was, yes. I was just waiting for him. I wish he would survive just so he could get to the iceberg battle at the end and say, let them fight. <laughs> because that's what literally happens with this orchid. This it's so garbage. And that's it's a my, movie... fa- my favorite line and my favorite little exposition in the whole movie is when Charlotte Rampling's talking to Richard Harris and she's like, you know why the whale destroyed all the other boats but yours, don't you? And he's like, no, I'd like to figure that out myself because he wants you on the open sea for a fight. <laughs> like, what the fuck? It's like Clubber Lang, I guess, in Rocky Three, just like, hey, woman, hey, you, yeah. don't, you don't want to mess with me. I'm going to hurt you. I'm gonna... hey. <laughs> what do you predict, Orca? My prediction, pay. <laughs> it's it's so ridiculous and especially when they try to give this orca sort of this pathos where obviously like you know you want to be on the orca side in theory of course because like oh man his wife died and his kid was <laughs> miscarried and they try and have like so much sympathy with like there's this terrible scene that they try and make so oh, where he's like pushing the corpse yes the funeral for God his lasts forever oh, and it's the Neil morricone score which we haven't mentioned uh-huh. he did the score um is so trying to treat this so serious it's like this is tragic this is awful can you believe what man's hubris has done and it's like this is goofy as fuck it's, it's so like, stupid it's it's the penguin funeral scene from batman returns but you're treating uh-huh. it 100 percent seriously there's no michael keaton looking like what the fuck and with doing? worse practical effects worse so much worse because <laughs> obviously this came out in the wake of jaws and the great yeah. thing about jaws is it was the sort of one of the great examples of necessity is the mother of invention because mm-hmm. the shark didn't work so you don't use right. the shark a lot and that that's perfect you use it when you need to yeah this less movie, is more this movie wants to show off the orca and is oh so proud God. of it it's like look at this fucking orca just going on to shore <laughs> it's so much stock footage where the orca is clearly in like a perfectly chlorinated tank mm-hmm. swimming around and then it'll show like a nightscape ocean scene you're like wait a second that fucking thing was bathed in sunlight and beautiful green water. What the hell is going on? And then and when then you like, have the robotic animatronic uh, whale, it's so bad. It's like a completely different color. <laughs> <laughs> it's like gray. <laughs> see, you know, because they, they really do try to show the fin that got wounded with the hole in it. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh, yep, that's him. But then when it is that whale and it's actual footage of the whale, yeah, there, there's no wound there. You don't see it at all. And fucking Bo Derek's leg. Oh, we need to, this is the debut of Bo Derek, who was sort of a sex symbol of the late seventies 
through the early 80s especially. She shows how much range she has as an actress in this one. She's stuck all the time, like, in bed or sitting down because she has the broken leg. And so it's just like, oh, we're not even going to utilize, no offense, our ap- apologies, but what Bo Derek was known for, her beauty, her sort of, the, the look of her as this model turned actress. Um, and just like, oh no, she's sitting around, chilling. Oh. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> dude. Nah, dude. The worst actor in this movie was probably the fucking, his number one or whatever. The, his... The dude who was with Bo Derek, I, I can't remember his name. You, you know what I'm talking about, though. Well, yeah, Peter Hooten. Yes. Oh, God, uh, was he that's... terrible? Yeah, the two he of them are... Because so they're sort of our young love couple that we're supposed to be maybe the most invested in because they actually feel like the innocence of the crew. No, you don't give a shit. They're very plain, uninteresting characters. Like, this whole group is. It's just like... Because... What worked about Jaws was that I'm sorry to keep comparing it to Jaws, but this movie keeps wanting well, to fucking be. It's hundred percent. Yeah, no, it's a ripoff. I mean, no, no it, it is a ripoff. But what worked about Jaws was that you had one, the town of Amity, which is a mm-hmm. great grounded harbor town that feels realistic, and then you have sort of these three men who both hate each other, but at the same time grow to be fascinated by each other on this boat. Who are three very different people, and you grow Black to be invested. Eyes. The yes, but you go to be invested in their interaction. Versus here, you don't give a single fuck. So then no. when the whale attacks, you're not even rooting for the whale to kill them because they're not interesting enough to be rooted for as, like, <laughs> to die. You're like when Robert for... Carradine got killed? I was like, yeah, alright. <laughs> like, I didn't give a shit. And, and how many times, how many deaths are just, like, a ba- the bad orc animatronic gulps up the oh same God. dummy that they throw into its mouth. It looks like I the exact know. same dummy. <laughs> Richard Ayers fucking ride the tail at the end. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? <laughs> and also the, the anti-climax of the way he dies of just like he's on one end It just gets slammed iceberg. to an iceberg. <laughs> yeah, and then he just like okay. gets catapulted up just like ooh, <laughs> So and let's not forget the last fucking 25 minutes of this movie is a whale slowly swimming and a boat slowly following. Oh, so, such an engaging climax. You're so oh, man. What's going to happen? The biggest one is when the guy shied at the flash, like, oh, iceberg! You're like, oh, something's happening. <laughs> like, who gives a fuck? Oh. Is there anything about this that works? Richard Harris's fucking fisherman coat was pretty cool. <laughs> That's <laughs> his calm over. <laughs> you know, I'll say I don't mind Neil Morricone's score overall, but it ends no, on it's okay. But, but oh but my I'll god, say this, the song at the end oh is my god. one of like the worst movie songs I've ever heard, and it's also it's... another th- clear thing of like this is coming off the sort of decade long attempt at kind of doing like the Poseidon Adventure morning after theme love yeah. theme for your big disaster or monster movie or whatever and it's such a terrible like it feels like the singer is just coming up with the lyrics as she's singing the lyrics like line by line the ending of your movie where it's just like the whale is going off to i assume die i believe i that's I, what I think like it's gonna get trapped by the ice or something that's what i think is happening Right, they want to have the sort of Logan ending for their hero of the Orca. I'm just like, <laughs> oh man, he's going out. He doesn't yeah, have anything final, left to live for. That final song was so jarring. 
You know what it reminded me of? Uh, have you you've seen? I would imagine the original My Bloody Valentine. Yes. The last song in that movie. Do you remember? I don't remember the last. It's song. like an Irish hymn. All of a sudden, down here in Hadiga's mine. You're like, what the fuck? Where is this coming from? <laughs> this is exactly what this was for me. I literally, I'm like, wait a minute. First of all, the fucking POV shots for Behind the Whale's Fin. Oh, God. <laughs> so bad. So many bad POV shots in this movie, too, oh, of the orca. It's so bad. And, and like I said, it's this, every time the whale did something, like for some reason started a gas fire that blew up a, a factory in that town. Oh, yeah, he blows up a power plant. I forgot <laughs> yeah. about that. <laughs> it does the flip out of the water and like i said it's the same flip over and over even in the beginning they're showing two of them flip out of the water which i imagine would be the main orca and its mate mm-hmm. and it's just the same whale just the image is flipped <laughs> and jumping out the same time because you watch the splash it's the same everything i'm like this is fucking i knew I knew within five minutes, I'm like, oh, no. But there's some funny stuff in this movie, but it's really, like, spaced out between just pure boredom. And it's also a short movie. It's only about 88 minutes long. It's, it's it a fairly short. It doesn't feel like that, though. Nope. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it feels like two hours. No, it, it easily feels... It's very slow. It's very ponderous. It's, it's also a movie that's clearly, like... I, I'm not sure about the history of human knowledge of orca whales, but it feels like <laughs> whales were just like more of a hot button thing at this point. Maybe this was right around the time SeaWorld started. So it, it sort of Maybe, seems like there's... She even had the clips in her little videos of the whales and the tanks, and she was talking about when they're in captivity. and Right, it, it feels like there was an orca craze of some sort, and it feels like it's trying to also hop on that along with Jaws. But it feels I'm, not, I'm no whale biologist myself. Um, Charlotte Rampling can correct us if she wants to. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, you're about as qualified, I would say. I mean, maybe um, I don't have those piercing eyes though. That's the uh, that's what works in this movie is her piercing yeah, eyes. Absolutely, absolutely. She, she, she has gorgeous piercing eyes that just mm-hmm. go through you as you boringly sit there and watch her just expositive bullshit. Yeah, um, characters it, that you don't give a shit about the whole yeah, movie. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like. She um, might not be, it might be dated um, biology, particularly, which is like, look, and the whale fetus has hands <laughs> just like a human. Like, I don't know if that... Well, I don't know that that happens. No, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, can we I'm not fact sure. check? Uh, citation needed, <laughs> Wikipedia. Can, yeah. we, can we confirm this I don't know that whale still? fetuses have human hands. <laughs> I think our ultrasound do. technology might have improved over the past 40 years, and maybe we've proven that that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and if they do, then you need to go talk to a bunch of whale fishermen. Find out what the hell they're doing on their off time. <laughs> so, um, what else is there to say about Orca, really? I don't know that there's anything else to say, except that I know if I lived in a town, and they're like, this Orca's threatening our entire town, they'd be like, fuck that thing. What is it going to do? <laughs> it's not going to come on land and do anything. I know, Who just move a hundred feet inland. You That's, don't even have to. You literally don't even I mean, have uh, to. Unless you're like Richard Harris and you live like literally right above a dock. And I love the part where he's setting up the scarecrow. Oh, it's like, you know, like I said, my, my original favorite line, but you know it's not going to come to you, blah, blah, The thing's out there the entire time. It's right there. You can see it's goddamn fin out of the water. Just fucking firebomb the goddamn thing. 
pivots really that much of a problem. Get a couple of them, good old boys down there with shotguns, and just blast into the water. I guarantee you'll take care of that damn thing. It's such a master of stealth, we can't possibly track it. It's right but, there! Yeah, <laughs> on the uh, sh- We have <laughs> no idea where it is. <laughs> you conniving bastard, where could you be? Giant fan is sticking out of the fucking water. And I also say, like, Richard Harris, who interestingly has said later to this that he regrets working on this because he could have been working on the Ingmar Bergman film Serpent's Egg. I don't really like either of the movies, but I think Richard Harris did all right for himself, man. I, I, I don't know. I would have rather worked with Ingmar Bergman than worked on this fucking movie, probably. Yeah, no. <laughs> Being I around Ingmar Bergman that. would have been more interesting than doing this. In this movie, like he's at least, intermittently, he's either trying or not giving a shit. He's either giving right. 100% or 0%. There's no right, real middle ground. So there'll be points where it looks like he's just kind of sitting there not carrying a single iota. Or he's really putting his all into something so terrible. Like, that's probably the most funny bad stuff to me in the movie, is whenever he does, like, his, uh, like, especially the bit where after he's destroyed, the orc has destroyed his house. And he's just like, <laughs> you want to kill me? <laughs> is that what you want to do? Well, I'll get you. Come at me. Bring you it on. vengeful bastard. <laughs> he's going, like, all Shakespearean. It's like, calm down. It's an animatronic whale. Uh, I got a question for you. What's your favorite Richard Harris performance? Um, admittingly, I'm not as overly familiar with his filmography. Um, I'll say he's my, no offense, he's my least favorite Dumbledore, uh, Michael Gambon all the way. But um, I really um, like him in Unforgiven. Yeah. Um, I like him in Count of Monte Cristo with Jim Cavizio. I've not seen that one. Oh, oh back pocket. <laughs> and he's also good in Gladiator as Marcus Aurelius. Oh yeah, he is good in Gladiator. Yes, mm. I do also like him in that. Um, not a big fan of Gladiator. You know, I was when I was younger, and uh, there's still parts of it I really like. But Joaquin Phoenix is so over the top in that fucking movie. See, I like him a lot more than bland-ass Russell Crowe. I'm not big on Russell Crowe in general, and not that particular role either. But that's a different story because we were talking about Orca. So let's get yeah, final we? thoughts on. <laughs> Orca, the killer whale. By the way, that the whole title is Orca colon the, the kill, killer whale. The killer whale. You know, why don't you start off with your final thoughts? Well, tables have turned. Um, mm-hmm. This movie's trash. It's <laughs> it's really terrible. It, it it's kind of like I said, lost sort of a spot in people's memory as a bad movie. But I think it deserves to be sort of uh, put back on the spotlight as a terrible, awful, maybe dare I say, one of the worst films ever made. I think because Ooh. it mainly because it has so much money, it has a lot of talent, it is definitely trying to ape the Jaws style, and it comes off as just an egg on the face for everybody involved. It is a disaster. It's a pretty garbage fire of a movie that, if you're ever <laughs> going to watch it, I would say it's not really funny bad enough to be consistently no, engaging on that level, but... I could see maybe someone watching it like I did in just shock and disbelief of just like every wrong decision's being made. And I can't believe no one stopped to say, let's not do it this way. Let's not have this happen. Let's change something. No one apparently did. And yeah, just a single whale tear coming out of my eye. 
<laughs> for sure. Uh, what about you, Adam? I second uh, quite a bit of that. Um, where I was watching, and I'm going, why did nobody take a second and be like, why, wait, wait, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? This should be changed. The last half hour felt like an hour long to me. I mean, easily. There, there's nothing in this movie that I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, there's a couple parts where it's laugh out loud funny because how bad it is. But like I said, it, it's intermittent between just a bore fest of a film. It's so boring, and it's full, chocked full of characters that I don't give a shit about. Not a single character in this movie. I'm like, oh, okay, I can get behind this person. I don't care. You got a whaleologist who's spitting out shit like she's a psychiatrist for the orca. Like, how the hell do you know what this thing's thinking? And you got Richard Harris, who's basically just an asshole. He's a poacher for the most part. And it's just, there's, it's so boring and it's so bad. And the funny thing is, I, you know, we always, because Jaws is, you know, Jaws, it's one of the greatest of all time. And whenever the, the ripoffs are always brought up. Usually Piranha's the first one that's brought up. And uh, Orca's right up there usually. But I always forget about Orca. And you know what? I'm going to forget about Orca tomorrow. I'm going to forget I watched it. It's an ultimately forgettable movie. Like, this is not even a movie that can be enhanced with other substances. Like, sitting around with a bunch of buddies watching it. It would just be a, a fucking snooze fest. Yeah, though... Uh... To be fair to Piranha, it's more of a parody than a ripoff, necessarily. Which was yeah, but that, that's always the one that's brought up. Yeah. Um, versus this didn't even have the balls to be a parody. It is just a... Uh... A piece of shit? Yes, it's a it's a whale trapped on an iceberg with nowhere to go. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. And on that note, there that ends go. our sea creature double feature here for the evening. Uh, we have some feedback to read. We all asked you what your favorite and least favorite um, sea creature features were. And uh, we do that over at the Facebook page and the Twitter page, which are at DEDBpod. Um, if you reply to our post where we do that, we'll most likely be on the show. Just like these lovely people, uh, including mm-hmm. Nate Thomas, who says, The Abyss. Yeah. It, it's one that gets lost in the shuffle of the James Cameron mm-hmm. filmography. I agree, and I think The Abyss is a fantastic movie. I love The Abyss, but it's also full of actors I really like. I mean, the special effects at the time are cutting edge, which actually a lot of them still hold up. Mm -hmm. And another one, like you said, is just lost in the shuffle. I know plenty of people who love movies, and I'm like, and especially like sci-fi movies and things like that. I'm like, oh, The Abyss. They're like, I've never seen it. What sort of treat is like, it's the footnote of like, this is where we first got the sort of liquid metal style technology that we would later sort of perfect with Terminator 2 with Jim Jim Cameron's career. But mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely deserves more love. Um, maybe more than another sea creature movie, uh, Piranha 2 The Spawning for him, uh, which was oh, almost God. a movie we talked about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Might have been more interesting than Orca though. Brian Kane has this to say, uh, not really a sea monster movie, but I'm a big defender of Sphere. It had uh, the look of a bad Stephen King TV movie alongside a lackluster conclusion, but the sense of dread throughout is really solid, in my honest opinion. The giant squid scene comes to mind. Leviathan is pretty great. Alien with less mood lighting. Also, I'm sure there's worse, but not counting the several direct-to-video shark movies that have been coming out in the last 30 years, mm-hmm. I'd nominate Deep Rising in the most soulless monster movie category. 
Oh, Deep Rising. Is that the one with Treat Williams? Yeah, I, I, I think so. That's a bad movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, Sphere, nah, that's when they're just trying to get anything Michael Crichton on film because Jurassic Park hit it big. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't really into Sphere, man. In fact, I don't think I've ever been into any of the Crichton movies except for Jurassic Park, for the most part. So, you know, hey, Brian, thanks for writing in, but I disagree with you. I, to be fair, I haven't seen any of these, so I can't really judge. You never see even Leviathan with Peter Weller. I have not seen Leviathan. No, that's actually you know that's actually an all right one. It's an alien ripoff, but it's an all right one. Back pocket, I guess, guys. Um, yeah, Caitlin Kinkella has this to say: uh, Ebera from Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, both favorite and least favorite. Um, I can see that. That's the for those who don't remember the giant lobster creature that Godzilla <laughs> fights and plays. Yeah. And one of my favorite bad but so good Godzilla scenes uh, where he plays essentially like rock volleyball with it. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. <laughs> I like Abra. I don't think he'll be in the new movie. But... <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, the, that's the secret one that they're going to reveal for oh. the third act. Well, shit. <laughs> oh, it looks like we've killed Ghidorah and Rodan and Mothra. Time to bring out the big guns with King Caesar. Yeah, King Caesar, Abra, and the Smog Monster. It's a tag team match. <laughs> uh, um, Louis A. Ramirez is to say, uh, while I like Deep Rising as a campy and fun sea monster movie, I would have to pick The Host as one of the better sea monster movies of recent times. On the other side, the Korean horror Sector 7 fails to be original in that same concept. Um, I love The Host. Yeah, The Host is great. I've never seen Sector 7. But yeah. the host is fantastic. It's one of the better monster movies of the last twenty years, easily. Yeah, it's really the first one in a while to since the original Godzilla to really build up that sort of sense of dread that comes with this monster and how it really impacts a society as a whole. Um, a lot of the Godzilla movies that have come since then, especially the American one, mm-hmm. try to kind of do that, and the host I think accomplishes it so perfectly. Yeah, I'd say that the host kind of single-handedly almost brought back the kaiju genre because it was really dormant for a long time and the host came out and it was huge well especially over there but here i mean it gained a lot of traction it's a fantastic movie yes a really great one um next is a our our last bit of feedback is from uh, jeffrey goodrow um who has this to say uh, i'm excited to see the meg but this isn't really a horror sea monster movie I think we're living in the world where CG is really killing the effect of real-life creatures, but that's just my opinion, I guess. Um, yeah, we're recording this before The Meg. We're releasing it, obviously, uh-huh. the week of The Meg coming out. Um, my bigger thing with The Meg watching the trailers and such is just that it feels so tonally confused. I'm yes. not sure what it's trying to be between a Jason Statham big-budget action movie, but also a Jaws ripoff, but also a comedy Especially, like, so many bad comedians. Yeah, it's from... real jokey. Rain Wilson. Oh, so, God. I, I feel so sad seeing Rain Wilson in that trailer, because I'm like, you're, you're such a good actor, and they're just... He, he, the only roles he can get now are just subpar Dwight. And it's so yep. sad. Yep, I agree. It's so sad to see you do that. Um, but, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm mildly curious for the Meg. I think, if anything, it's just the fact that they got John Turtletob of <laughs> National Treasure to do it is more disappointing to me as opposed to getting, you know, somebody who would have a bit more fun with that concept, just kind of getting more of a studio churn out director. I think that's yeah, I agree. 
Yeah. Yeah. But man, if I don't admittingly love every time Jason Statham just says, It's a megalodon. That's <laughs> that's pretty funny to watch in trailers. Yeah. Jason Statham saying anything above three syllables is fucking awesome. <laughs> I love Jason Statham so much. Well, oi, this is my feedback. <laughs> really appreciate it. Uh Seriously, thank you all for writing. Uh, we also want to thank a few other people. Thanks to Chris Oliver for the music that's used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. And also thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our podcast. Uh, she accepts commissions at Fiverr with two rs.com slash ee scarta. And uh, you can also find us on, as we mentioned, the Facebook and Twitter page at dedbpod. Or you can email us feedback if you don't use the social medias at uh, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. Uh, but if you do use the social medias, we also have individual accounts. We are at not the who's Tommy for myself and Adam at Malekith fan six nine six nine. All one fucking word as it should be, as as the Lord intended it. Um, right. And uh, please make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review us to give the show more visibility. And uh, we have some plans in store for iTunes reviews, so maybe catch Absolutely. a leg up. Catch yep. a leg up. Give yeah, us one, we'll most likely read it on the show. But until next time, we have to go sail the seas. Cue the terrible song, Adam. Oh, God. Beautiful music. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night.